Welcome to the Sleep by Shay podcast. I'm Shay Morrison, sleep expert and co-founder of The Goodnight Co. Join me each week for hints and tips on all things sleep and follow me on Instagram at Shay Morrison. Hello and welcome back to the Sleep by Shay podcast. Today we are joined by Megan Luscombe, who is an accomplished relationship coach Megan guides and supports individuals and couples on their relationship journey. And today we want to delve into navigating relationships and the impact that this has on sleep. We're also going to touch on self-love, a key foundation when it comes to having happy relationships. And we need to look at how we can really understand what self-love is for us in order to really embrace further relationships. Megan, I am so excited to be um, chatting with you today. And one of the first questions I'd like to ask is, how did you sleep last night? Yeah, I, I thought this question was going to be coming and I and <laughs> I, I will be. <laughs> no, I love it. No but pressure. Thing, my sleep last night was absolutely terrible. Oh, no. My, I know, I know. And my son is currently going through a bit of a growth spurt in his life. He's 21 yeah. months and he just wants to do all the skills he's learned in the day at night time. Mm, so yeah. it was a it was a lot of wake ups. Even though the sleep wasn't great last night, I do have the reason for why the sleep wasn't great. So yes. there is a reason for it. Outside of that, my sleep is usually fantastic. <laughs> Obviously, I'm dealing with some external forces that are with outside of my control. Absolutely, yeah. And it's tough when you're in that um, in that stage because yeah. you know you you don't have control over it. Absolutely. Before we get into the relationship side of things, I'd really love to start with self-love and having this conversation. Why is self-love so important in our overall picture when it comes to relationships? Yeah, I mean, self-love is pivotal because if we don't know how we receive and need to feel love for ourselves, we can't really communicate it to other people. And yes, we can learn how to love ourselves with the help and assistance of other people, but it is so vital that we have our own identities in our own ways to love ourselves and to keep ourselves connected to who it is that we are as we evolve through different stages of life. And I feel that a lot of people, and I would say women in particular, have been raised to show and demonstrate love to other people mm -hmm. and to be carers and to be maternal and caregiving. But we aren't really taught how to turn that mirror onto ourselves and to truly love and like the people who we are on an emotional level. So mm -hmm. I think it's crucial for everybody to be able to begin the process of self-like into self-love. Yeah, and I think if we look back generationally, um, certainly there was, you know, if we're talking then about women in particular and the gender roles is that we were taught mm -hmm. that from a very young age that we were there as the caregiver and the nurturer yeah. and we were given dolls to play with and the boys were given Absolutely. The, the fire trucks and the police cars and the guns and swords mm -hmm. and all the things and aeroplanes that they might fly one day. Yeah. And, you know, so for <laughs> yeah. us, you know, I guess it has been ingrained generationally over a long time. And mm -hmm. so we get to this crossroad in 2023 where the world is rapidly changing and I guess mm -hmm. it's more important than ever because there is certainly a lot more freedom around exploring that. Not to say that, you know, we're encouraging that women don't become caregivers and, and mm. look after other people, but 
I just think it's so important that this that we take responsibility for ourselves first and mm-hmm. then when our cup is full we can do the rest but I think that's hard for people to navigate and know where to start in that process yeah that's something you cover off potentially in your workshops yeah yeah, yeah absolutely I'm I I think one thing I've realized and I mean I've been doing this for 12 years is that sometimes women in particular need permission to put themselves first and to start to do the work when it comes to finding out who they are and how they can give themselves permission to like who they are then to grow and to love who they are. And I do think now more than ever we are experiencing more of a shift in self-love and learning about self-love, but I think we also need to remember that women in particular have spent generations having the opposite told to us so it can be really ingrained to externally help other people and I really work hard to help women in particular remember that they're number one Mm. and they deserve to put themselves as number one and it's not a selfish act to do that like when you're on a plane you know you've got to put your mask on first before you can help somebody else and it's the same when it comes to working on self-love you've got to start putting yourself as the mask on first yeah when it comes to self-love and then it comes to self-care practices Mm -hmm. there's obviously a correlation there and I don't know I've always struggled with the words self-care I don't know why I just it just doesn't they those two words together I don't know I just they just irked me a little bit but 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 I love the concept of it like I truly you know and so I always try and find other ways to to talk about self-care but yeah I agree with you. Do you, yeah, you, do you know, I do. I think self-care is just a marketing ploy. Yeah, yeah. It's a marketing ploy for basic things that you should be able to do all the time without thinking you're being selfish for yourself. Like yeah. a bath is self-care. What? Yeah. How did, yeah. how did we get there? Explain what, what my irk is towards it. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's my oak as well. Like, oh, I'm just having a bit of my, a bit of me time. Yeah, what? No, no. <laughs> You're entitled to go and get your nails done if you want. Go yes. get a massage. Go these things you are entitled to do. Like, you know, men go out and play golf. They don't go having a bit of self-care. No, no they don't. They no. just go and play golf. Yeah. Like, you know, and I think this is the thing that I work really hard with women to sort of deprogram their their instinct to be like, oh, I just need some self-care. Well, no, you can just have the bath because you want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I think it's understanding the correlation then by doing those things, the mm-hmm. benefits that you that you reap, yes. and then how do you factor them in regularly? So one of the things that I talk yes. a lot about um, in my work around sleep, relaxation is the key to getting great sleep. Mm-hmm. How can we create more relaxation time? What are we doing to support ourselves when it comes to taking breaks? Now, this Mm -hmm. is taking breaks throughout the day, the week, the month, Mm -hmm. the season, the year. And are you scheduling those in? Because I know Mm -hmm. for me, um, you know, being a mom, having a business and, you know, multiple things on the go, if they're not scheduled in, it's very hard Mm -hmm. to say, I'll do that next week. And next week comes and then I'll do it next week. And then by the time we know it, the month is gone. Yeah. And we're not doing it. So I'd love to talk around what your strategies are around around that and mm. making it habitual. Yeah, and you've hit a lot of the nails on the head there when it comes to putting things in your diary and making yourself accountable to putting yourself first. But also for some people who maybe don't go well when it comes to doing schedules and putting things in diaries, it's about, you know, having a cork board and 
writing down on a post-it note 10 things you want to do for yourself that month and when you get free time during the week or during the day just going and picking one of those things off and dedicating it to yourself yeah I like that you know so so then it's more of a um you still have the spontaneity of choosing what you want to do in the moment, but you have things that you can pick from. So it's mm. taken a sort some of the emotional labor of having to consider, oh, what can I do with my free time now? Yeah. So it's already there. So you just pick it off and go with it. But I definitely do agree that for some people, the schedule is the way to go. And I suppose for the other people who want more, maybe spontaneity, writing down some post-it notes, what you could yeah. choose from can be a really great option. I love that. So the, maybe at the beginning of the month, whatever it is, brainstorm six to ten things that you would like to do, mm-hmm. put them up there, and then um, then you're looking at them regularly as well. So it's the, the nice exactly. reminder and then the yep. spontaneity is in what you choose that, that exactly. time. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, beautiful. I really like that one. And so I guess when it, then when it comes to self-love, because this mm-hmm. is also different, and I, t- I was just away on the weekend recently and we went to a health conference and lots of women from varying ages and actually varying ages between mid-40s and mid-60s. What was really evident, though, is that I feel sad that there was probably not a lot of self-love in that group and a lot of sadness, particularly women who somewhat have it all, but yet there is such a level of sadness because there's not a huge level of self-acceptance and self-love. Yeah. How can people identify that and do something about it? Yeah, I think I think that's the common misconception if you, you know, from a societal standpoint have it all, and I say that in quotation marks, yeah. that you on some deep level will feel fulfilled and, you know, that you'll have this enormous amount of love for yourself and your life. And I think people need to start to get really acquainted with their values and what they are on a deep level to be able to then assess if they are happy and they are loving themselves. Because if you're living life according to your values, then your self-love is getting ticked all the time because you're doing something that's intrinsically who you are. And I don't think a lot of people take time to work out what their values are. I think they know what their values are and their goals are in a relationship in a romantic sense and when it comes to their friendships and their families. But I don't think they sit down and ask themselves, well, who am I when you peel all of these layers back? Mm. When you take away every variable that I can't control, who am I without all of these things? And a lot of people don't know who they are without their friends, without their partner, without their children, without their family. They just know the roles that they've created and the values that exist within those roles. And one thing that I think is pivotal for everybody is to be able to know who they are when nobody around you exists, Mm. right? So without social media, without the noise, without the chaos, like who are you on a deep level? Mm. And you know, I, I always say to people, who are you when you're not on social media? Mm-hmm. Who are you when you're not with your friends, when you're not a mum, when you're not a co-worker? Like these are the ways you start to love and align with yourself when you start to identify who you are without all of that noise. Mm-hmm. And for some people, they don't start working on that until they've done all the roles that society gave them. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's probably what you experienced when you're around a group of people who are of varying ages and when you you witness people who are now just starting to do the work and it can be sad to see that because a lot of their life and maybe some of those moments have have been missed 
So now they're starting to sort of do it all at once, which is fantastic that they are. And it's not too late. It's never too late. It is absolutely never too late. But, you know, we want we want society to society and you know everybody to be doing this and feeling you know that they are empowered to do it immediately Mm. we don't want people to get to you know 25 and then start the journey Mm. you know we want them growing up on the journey they're already there they already are starting to do and do you think that that's changing yes but schools don't embrace this so how it's not really entirely accessible necessarily for everybody mm-hmm. you've got to discover it rather than it be part of a curriculum as such yeah yeah i think it's a it's conversations that we're having now with our kids and you know when i was growing up there was no affirmation you know we we didn't get affirmations from our parents growing up and and now i see on social media incredible you know, moments captured where parents are saying to their kids, you know, I'm strong, I'm brave, I am loved, I am fierce. That's it right there. That's how we start self-love, you know, and I think children identifying that and being able to be their own champion from such a young age is is how we start shifting the narrative to self-love starting a lot earlier mm-hmm. and we're empowering them to start liking and loving themselves as opposed to them doing it on the other side of their development. Yeah, yeah. As the world changes, there is much more acceptance yeah. around this and it not being woo-woo and Absolutely. weird. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty it's strange really to think that people would think it was weird, but, but you know, a lot of people do because, no. they, as you yeah. said, they, they weren't exposed to it because I right. have a maybe somewhat woo-woo mother and so I was mm-hmm. exposed to it at, at a youngish age. And, and But if you look back, Louise Hay was really the only person that was mm-hmm. really pushing it in Australia at that time. Yeah. And and this is the juxtaposition around social media as well, isn't it, yeah. where the evil and the good. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Completely agree. I guess what we're talking about here is layering those foundations around yes. setting this tone of accepting self and having beautiful self-love practices that also come with self-care and, and nurturing mm-hmm. that to then be able to then branch out into relationship Mm -hmm. we talked before we were recording around uh, you know I was asking I feel that these days there you know there is such a wait list to get into counsellors relationship counsellors so so the demand is there and people are seeking this advice which is excellent yes but at the same time what state are we in yeah look I think a lot of couples are still coming over and coming down from COVID yeah. and from what yeah. that did to their relationships. And I think a lot of couples were, for some couples, it really showed the positive and it showed their relationship in a positive light. And from for a lot of couples, they came undone because it put them in close quarters yeah. and into sort of spaces they'd never really been in before. Mm. So I think a lot of couples are still coming down from that mm. and they're still trying to sort of navigate that space. Obviously, you know, right now, I feel like the world is, and like you just said before, like social media, it's got the good and the bad. I think right now people are becoming a lot more aware of the negative behaviours that take place inside relationships thanks to social media. I do obviously think social media is also responsible for over-therapizing things and people are starting to see problems where there are none. Mm. But one thing that I can say, and I mean, like I said, I've been doing this for 13 years, is a lot more couples now are becoming more proactive when it comes to their mm. relationships okay. as opposed to reactive. And I, I think that's such a fantastic shift to see mm. when couples are coming to me and talking to me about their relationship before they get married so they can navigate conflict in a way that supports them as opposed to coming to me, you know, eight months after the conflict's taken place and we've mm. got to do more repair 
Mm. which, you know, it's okay if couples do that, but I do think it's such a fantastic space to see that there is a swing going for proactive attempts as opposed to reactive ones. Mm, definitely. And I am also a marriage celebrant, so have been a marriage celebrant for many years. Yeah. And um, and it's really interesting. So, so, so I really hold um, relationship in Absolutely. You know, such a high way. Marriage is so sacred and you know making this choice is a really big decision and I've been a marriage celebrant for nearly oh well 20 something years so when I was really young you know in my I think I was early, very early 20s when marriage celebrants were 50 plus at that stage and I was like oh, there's mm-hmm. a little like gap in the market here because yeah. all my friends were starting to get married and over the years watching I, I feel really watching the fact that for a period of time, I think it's swinging back now, but for a period of time, the importance it was on the wedding and not the marriage, and there yeah. was such a big piece missing there. Mm. I always suggest to people that uh, from a non-religious point of view, they go and seek centre care is a really great, they do run mm. a phenomenal program, and it's a 100-question questionnaire that you can do as a couple mm. just to find out where the holes are at like what you're talking about pre-marriage to you know I've spoken to so many people who say there was just this one thing and now that one thing for some people is whether they want to have a baby or not or the way in which they want to raise a child and you know all these things which is a really important thing you know it's a huge thing it's a huge Huge thing thing. it's not the thing that you want to get to after you're married and then start having a great conversation so you know I think that you're right but I do feel that it is coming back around and I think you're obviously seeing that as well where there is more importance put on it pre-marriage yes. than, than post. Which is really good to see, like yeah. really good. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess when we're talking about relationships, this is a pretty key area when it comes to stress and, you know, people might be thinking, why are they talking about all this and what's it got to do with sleep? But, you know, stress and anxiety is the number one reason why the world is struggling with sleep. And that mm-hmm. can come from so many different levels, huge amount of levels. But relationship yeah. is a really important part in that. So I guess what do you see around that, this impact of relationship issues and sleep? Yeah, well, look, I think sleep can be impacted if a relationship is experiencing conflict, turmoil, disconnect, and especially if we are taking conflict into our sleeping patterns, which you know a lot of people have serious conversations in bed Mm. um, which can impact Mm. their sleep quality and I really advise couples against having serious conversations in bed yeah okay that's a really Uh, you know that's that's a topic that I really agree on that I've never discussed but absolutely yeah the bed is sacred I always tell my couples to keep their bedroom as a bedroom it should be a sanctuary it shouldn't be a place that you retreat to to have very serious conflict because it changes the space Mm. it changes how you feel about the space and you know there might be couples listening to me now saying oh you know but that's where we you know we that's where we can get away from the kids Mm. or it's easier for us to to do it there and if you are doing it there I'm not saying you're wrong I know couples do what they have to when it comes to their situation and their living circumstances but what I do encourage couples to do is to acknowledge that once you start bringing conflict into bed, you are changing the dynamic and what you are going to bed for. Mm. And that really can impact sleep. Mm. And because sometimes we have a relationship dynamic where somebody's laying in bed and they're overthinking and you're right, they're stressing and they're 
they're catastrophizing something that's gone wrong and the other person's sleeping really well and then that person's angry because that person's sleeping well and it's, you know, it can just turn into a bit of a turmoil. And I think if couples were able to discuss that their bed and their sleep is actually a place of practice and a place of sort of ritual and joy, absolutely, I think they would be having from a relationship standpoint, mm. I know other things impact people's sleep yeah, quality. Absolutely. I know work and all those yeah. sort of things. But if we can take one element off the table and, you know, maybe go when it comes to us and our relationship and how we manage conflict, we're going to take the bedroom off the table and the bed off the table. We're not going to be in those spaces. Mm. We can at least help couples just a little bit when it comes to having more restful nights. Definitely. And I often talk about the fact that our bodies and our brain are just amazing. Now, we don't take a lot of time to acknowledge that. A lot of people don't on a day-to-day basis. You know, really thanking our bodies for the work that it does overnight, repairing, restoring, you know, to allow us to wake up and feel good the next day and to do all the things that we do. And then our brain is just amazing because it has this memory that associates with the association. So what you're talking about is no different to somebody doing stressful work on their laptop or whatever it is in their bed and oh, absolutely. the brain saying, hang on, this is the place where you feel stressed and you do yep. your work. This is not the place that you relax and you unwind and you, mm-hmm. you know, share it and, and, you know, have great sleep. And so then it's confused and it doesn't know what to do. Exactly. And so it's the same thing exactly. with the conversations and the feelings that might be happening yes. in a relationship. Absolutely. Another reason why I tell couples and individuals don't go to, don't take your phone to bed with you. Yeah. But that's never going to happen for most people. Honestly, I, over the last five years in particular, it has become more of an obsession than ever. And I love not having my phone in my room though. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, and It doesn't need to be near my bed. It's great. If you track your sleep, so I track my sleep with my aura ring, you know, if I go away for a week, like on the weekend when I was away, you sort of have, my phone was in my room because I was staying in a different environment and whatever. And it's mm-hmm. interesting looking at the sleep data around the, the phone in the room and not. Yeah. And it was interesting the next morning listening to a lot of the women saying that, oh, no, I didn't have such a good night, but I was scrolling. And that was majority. Absolutely. The majority of people were exactly. scrolling, you know. Um, so, yeah, exactly. look, that one's a hard one. That That's a whole other topic. But, you know, I really think that when it comes to the bedroom as a sanctuary, it is a place for sleep and sex only. Um, and that's mm-hmm. what we often talk about. And so I guess that this is this level around creating intimacy. And, you know, so I guess on that point as well, I'd love your thoughts because I have my own thoughts on um, do we share the same bedroom and bed or mm. do we go like the royals and have our mm. own sleeping quarters? You know, I'd love yeah. your thoughts on that. Yeah, look, I think it's. I think one thing we need to remember is that a couple sleeping in bed doesn't signify the quality and strength of a relationship. Mm. A couple can be sleeping side by side and be completely disconnected. Totally. And we also have health issues that we're dealing with when it comes to sleep. We have people sleep apnea. We have yeah. people who are, you know, chronic snorers that can be really disruptive to our quality of sleep. Yeah. Not for them. They're sleeping <laughs> not for the other person. Yeah. And I work with a lot of couples who have separate beds, separate bedrooms in the house. Yeah. Or they'll have like a bedroom each and then they have sleepovers. Yeah. So, um, you know, some of the night they'll they'll spend 
um, having, you know, connected time and intimacy doesn't always necessarily have to be sex. They just lay down together, cuddle, and then they go to their separate sleeping spaces so they yeah. can sleep. And I think for couples who do that from a place of helping them stay connected, fantastic, yeah. go for it. There yeah. is no rule that says you have to share your bed with your partner or else you're in a bad relationship. There yeah. is, thought. It's very antiquated. Yeah, it mm. is absolutely antiquated. I think for the couples who want to sleep in the same bed, fantastic. Mm. I think for the couples who don't want to sleep in the same bed, also fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> there, is, there is no set rule. And I look at it even just for myself. I know that the nights where um, my husband travels a lot and you know, my children then fight to to share my bed. And it's some, there are nights <laughs> yeah. where it's like, if he's away for three nights, you both you each get a night each and then I get a night on my yeah. own. Um, and then yeah. there are just times where, you know, it's no, actually I really want to take this time to get really good sleep because I can. Yes. Um, and absolutely. so, no, I'm not sharing my bed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's it's really interesting that we, you know, we grow up in our in our own bed. Yeah. And having our yeah. own space. And then we get into a relationship and it's like, okay, now you must forgo that. Yeah. And now you need to be in another bed with somebody else because that's that's the signifier of a relationship. You mm. share the same bed. Mm. And I think if a lot of people really sat with that and asked themselves, why do I think that's the rule? Why mm. am I following that? Am I doing it because I genuinely love having the company of somebody else every single night when I sleep? Mm. If so, fantastic. Then yeah. keep on doing it. But I think for some people, they will their response will be, I'm doing it because that's what I thought I had to do. Mm. It's the next stage. Yeah, mm. exactly. And there's nothing wrong with if you don't want to share a bed every single night with your partner. That's me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> he doesn't like that, but that's me for sure. Um, but, okay, okay, so then there's another extension to that topic, which is around couples going to bed at the same time. I've had lots of conversations with people and and even in my own relationship where it is quite easy for this to not happen and then I feel mm-hmm. it creates pretty quick divide um, when it comes to then intimacy and connection mm-hmm. if you are regularly on different time zones essentially because yeah. what are your suggestions there? Yeah. Look, I think what's important to remember is there are going to be relationship dynamics and career paths for individuals that make it impossible for us to go to bed at the same time if we've got shift workers and things like that. So there are going to be some couples who this isn't an option for them, maybe two to three weeks of the month. Mm. Okay. So what I will say to couples that it is important if you use bed as a connector, as a way to connect, that you have a conversation that places it as a level of importance maybe once or twice a week. Now, for some people, they will go, oh, I'm not tired and I don't want to go to bed Mm. if I'm not tired. And that can create friction again if you're making somebody do something that they don't want to do. Mm. But it's all about compromise and it's all about coming up with a plan where both partners feel valued and connected from a place of what will work for our relationship. So maybe on Friday nights, it'd be so great on Friday nights and Saturday nights if we could go to bed together. So then we can actually have time together and be intimate or whatever it is that the couple wants to do. Mm. But it's about understanding that some people will go, I don't want to go to bed at the same time because uh, I'm on shift work or I start work later or I start work early so I'm not tired yet. So it's, it's understanding what one going to bed at the same time does for the couple and the relationship Mm. and the individual 
And two, what's the outcome that they're wanting by creating the behavior? Mm. Because obviously there are going to be some people who go, I want us both to go to bed at the same time. And for some people, they'll be in a thriving relationship where they don't go to bed at the same time. There's no right or wrong. Mm. It's about working out what is positively working for the couple and Mm. what's negatively being created in the relationship. Yeah. So I, I don't want couples to feel they have to do it one way or the other. I always want couples to remember it just needs to be a conversation and what's working between the both of them. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess it's then, you know, finding ways, other ways as well to create intimacy and connection along yeah. the way. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think I think that's a really key identifier in relationships. I think we really put a lot of pressure on going to bed and that being a key mm. sort of um that's where all the intimacy takes place. Mm. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on sleep habits. And I think it puts a lot of pressure on the bedroom in particular. Mm. So I think if a couple is is taking time outside of sleeping in the bedroom mm. to feel connected, hand-holding, cooking together, cuddles on the couch, having conversations, I think they relieve some of the pressure of mm. we need to go to bed at the same time because they are feeling connected outside of that space. So they don't feel as if they need to so much pressure on one moment of the day which would be going to bed together I think a lot of couples would be more comfortable with not going to bed at the same time if they felt connected outside of that Mm. our lives are so busy these days and Mm -hmm. so then it comes back to the prioritizing of relationship because I think that this is the piece that for anyone who says oh but I don't have time for that and uh, my husband's always away and, and, you know, we don't see each other. And Well, then I guess it comes down to how you're prioritising it. Absolutely. And that's what a relationship really is. Yeah. <laughs> Your prioritisation. That's, that's relationship 101. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people don't realise that. They think it just works. Yeah. And that's, unfortunately, that's just a big lie. You really need to get good <laughs> at prioritisation and delegation and time management yeah. and self-love and, you know, Stuff like that. And this comes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, which is why the foundation is so important to set that before you essentially go and get married. Megan, you said that on, um, I think it was on Instagram and your own podcast, that there's a benefit in some couples going to bed angry in a disagreement. Mm. Yes. What's the strategy for this? When I say going to bed angry, it sparks a lot of feelings in people Mm. because there's always one person who needs to have something ticked off before they go to sleep Mm -hmm. and what that person really wants in that moment is control of the situation and control of the variables because they want to put it to bed and and I can appreciate it It tip it can touch on a lot of people's anxious avoidant tendencies Mm -hmm. I know that it hits people but the Mm -hmm. thing is a relationship is about two people co-creating a experience we can't have one person taking control of it and we can't have another person taking control of it Mm -hmm. so we need to come up with agreements together and some of the times having an argument before bed or taking an argument into the bedroom or before going to sleep can make the argument go very, very, very pear-shaped very, very, very quickly Mm. because we're trying to sort of tick the boxes and make it end before we go to bed so we feel like we're quickly reconnected again and we're okay and, you know, like don't 
got to kiss each other before we go to sleep and make sure we're still in love and we're still all this. So <laughs> there's a lot love. of pressure, <laughs> hmm, right? There's a lot, a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. Yeah. And, of course, it, it depends on the level of the conflict as well. If we're talking about something that's going against our values, you can't just put that in a neat little tight box and be like, love you, bye, good night, yeah. so well. So what I say to couples when going to bed angry is about acknowledging that we're having a difficult conversation and it's still going to be there for us tomorrow morning when we wake up. Mm. But it's going to be there from a place of clarity. What tends to happen is one person wants the argument done so they have peace of mind. That can really cause disharmony in a relationship. So what I say to couples where one person wants to still say their piece is you can say what you need to say, but the other person will comment on it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So it's just about establishing boundaries, creating safety and security, and knowing that just by not having the argument tonight doesn't mean the relationship's in jeopardy. It's just pausing it and coming back to it tomorrow morning when we both have a bit more clarity, our emotions are a bit more under control, they're a bit more subdued, we're more receptive to actually listening and, and to connecting and talking as opposed to just yelling at each other, mm. which is what tends to happen in you know relationship conflict Mm. so it's about setting a boundary and going say I need to have the argument I'm like I gotta have the argument I've got to get it all out it's about that person going I'm going to say the things that I need to person b is able to be listening to those and they can listen and then thanks for telling me that let's pick it up tomorrow morning Mm. And this is why relationship counselling is really important for people because for a lot of people they don't know the right words to choose and what to say. Exactly. The framework that you just outlined there is really fair for both parties and allows people to have the closure that they need at that point in time and then to also further continue the conversation. And you can still be connected in that conflict and that's Mm. what it's about. It's about saying I acknowledge that you need to say your piece and I want to hear that but I need you to know that I can't comment on that right now based on my emotions and I'd like to comment on it tomorrow morning and the other person going, okay, I just want to reaffirm that our relationship is still intact and we're still safe and it's okay for another person to ask for that feedback and for the other person to go, look, our relationship is fine, we're great, but tomorrow morning we need to talk about this. And it really works. I mean, my wife and I, if we have conflict at night time, we both remind each other that we'll talk about it in the morning and we both say, I love you, but we're talking about this tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And it helps. And when we get up in the morning... Nine times out of ten, I don't even know what we were fighting about. That's right, because we've slept on it as well, so there's a bit more time and space to let it heal. One of the other questions that I certainly have a lot of conversations with people around is the disruption to the relationship and then I I guess then sleep as well, but relationship. When we create a family and then children are involved, my kids absolutely love sleeping in our bed when they get the opportunity to and or we have a sort of lounge room outside our bedroom and so if it's not there then they also want to sleep on the swags outside the the bedroom and you know just children but I'm also aware that for a lot of people who are choosing to co-sleep yes every night yep what are your suggestions here yeah Look, I think that's why I always say to couples, you need to see how much pressure you're putting on the bedroom and for things that take place in the bedroom. Mm. Obviously, there are a lot of there are a lot of parents who co-sleep and yeah. they, they love that closeness and connection with yeah. their family, which is fantastic. 
So now that we're doing that, let's talk about if we are wanting to be sexual or intimate, what does that look like now? Mm. Maybe, maybe we are intimate when we have showers. Maybe Mm. we are intimate. Maybe we've changed the time of the day we have sex. Or maybe we are every, you know, month or so we book a hotel away and we have our support network take care of the kids so we can actually spend time dedicated to ourselves and our pleasure and our bodies together. Yeah. Like it's it's changing the um, expectation you put on bed when you go to bed at night. Mm. And if co-sleeping is something that you want to do and it's important to you and you and you love that time, and I think it's really important that families don't feel the pressure to change that if that's something that they enjoy and it's something that they're doing. I do think, though, it is important that you just have the conversation with your partner as to what does sexual intimacy look like to us now that this is our our nighttime sleeping arrangement with our family mm. and it's it's okay for that to change it's okay for that to evolve it doesn't need to I think couples very much get into the mindset of nighttime bedtime sex yeah and um I think it's just really important for couples to sort of sit back and ask themselves what does that look like for us and how can we evolve that and change that as our family grows and changes like maybe they might co-sleep for a bit and they might Mm. change for a bit you know kids might all of a sudden be like you know what I don't want to be in here and then they change their minds and they want to come back in you know it's it's being flexible and fluid and having the the continuous conversation of that Mm. I think that's how couples really need to navigate it talk Mm. more (laughs) communicate and I think that this is it because a lot of the conversations I have with people there doesn't seem a lot of structure around it. So there, there doesn't feel like there's a lot of conversation. And then that's yeah. when you're seeing the breakdown of the relationship. Exactly. Because there's not a, no framework around it. Exactly. And a lot of the things that couples experience could really be navigated so much quicker and so much easier and more effectively if they just talked about it. Mm. And I know a lot of these things couples feel uncomfortable talking about, but you'll be uncomfortable for all of two seconds once you open your mouth and then the <laughs> uncomfort dissipates. And it's worth it in the end, especially if you're choosing and wanting to be with somebody long-term. You've got to have to get good at having really uncomfortable conversations. Definitely. And I think that that really summarises why we're here and talking about this is that I think that it's the proactive approach that we can take to relationships. I love what you covered off around we really should be avoiding having any heated arguments, serious conversations whatever that might be in the bed because as yeah, I like it to the stressful work situation or whatever that, you know, the piles of washing and laundry and, and yeah, whatever absolutely. might be happening that we don't want in the bedroom mm-hmm. and finding ways to talk about that separately. I think that that's a really key piece as well because I think probably for a lot of people that is where, as you said, that's where they fall into bed at night time and they've got to have that yeah. last conversation because there's been no time for it anywhere else. So it's, structuring that away from yep. that space you know a chaotic bedroom can be a chaotic mind oh yes definitely so I really think it's important that couples consciously reflect on that a bit more mm. and the proactivity so it's around having this proactive approach to your relationship and yeah. you know seeking out people like yourself that can help you navigate it more smoothly and you feel like you can broach the conversation that you might not feel like you can without a third party there. Absolutely. All about that, 100%. So where can people find you, Megan? Because you are based in Victoria, but you do work online. Yeah, so people can find me online on my socials. I'm at Megan Luscombe on Instagram and TikTok, but they can just find me at meganluscombe.com.au. I do sessions in person every few months. 
and I do workshops all over Australia, but obviously work with clients worldwide now thanks to the technology <laughs> that's available to us. So yeah. I'm around everywhere. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I think that it's been um, such an important topic. You know, one that I think a lot of people can get just a few a few little extra bits of information and tips out of that can, can really change the way that they're sleeping. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sleep by Shea podcast. If you're interested in learning more about our guests or any of the topics we've spoken about today, head on over to the show notes for all the details and sleep advice you need. If you like what you're hearing or are sleeping better, we'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and listen along with the Sleep by Shea podcast to wake up looking and feeling your very best every day. Every day.